Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 7 this morning. I was looking for a, a passage or a text to, to kind of just sum up all of that uh, we've been looking at about our God over the last 34, 35 weeks on the character and attributes of God. And so I've titled this sermon, Our Relevant God, but, and that's an okay title. Uh, titles have to be short enough, people can say them, remember them, that kind of thing. But let me tell you what I wanted to call it, okay? What I wanted to call it was our just when you need him, just where you need him, relevant, personal, resurrecting God. That's a lot, you know, but, or another title I thought of as I was reading this text, I wanted to call it our just where you are living kind of God. You'll see that from the verse first. Let me read it to you. Second Kings 6, verse 1. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elijah, Behold now, the place before you where we are living, so it's just right where you're living, is too limited for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, and each of us take from there a beam, and let us make a place there for ourselves where we may live. So he said, Go. Then one said, Please be willing to go with your servants. And he answered, I shall go. And so he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, my master, for it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and he threw it in there and made the iron float. He said, Take it up for yourself. So he put out his hand and he took it. Now, when you read a story like that, why is it there? You know, it's you got sons of the prophets. They're needing a bigger bunkhouse of some sort. They're ask permission, they get permission, they go cut some trees, they lose an axe in the water, and the axe head floats. Why does God put a story like that in the Bible? It made me think of the old um, wooden leg pig story. I don't know if you know that, but that's uh, the city uh, guy went to the farm, and he, when he got to the farm, he, he saw a pig with a wooden leg, and it's just the kind of thing, it just begs you to ask, why? And so he asked the farmer, he says, why do you have a pig with a wooden leg? And the farmer said, well, it's really quite simple. It's just because it's such a good pig. He says, uh, there was a time I was in the, the barn and a bale of hay fell on me and knocked me against the post and knocked me out. My lantern caught the hay on fire and that pig came in and just rolled me out of the barn, saved my life. And so it was another time I was uh, working on the tractor. The jack fell and pinned me down, and that pig came and rooted and dug me out. It's just really a good pig. And the city guy said, well, those are some nice stories, but why the wooden leg? I still don't know why the wooden leg. And the farmer said, well, I just told you. It's, it's because it's really a good pig. And when you have a pig that good, you just don't want to eat him all at one time. Why an axe head? Why is an axe head floating? 
you know, something's significant happening here, and yet it just doesn't appear to everybody all at the same time. Um, when you look at commentaries, it's amazing the number that moralize this passage of Scripture. They'd look at it, the first it says, well, you know, they were living in a small place, and he borrowed an axe head, so the moral of the story is neither a borrower or a lender be. Or perhaps the moral of the story is don't cut wood by the river. You know, other people say, you know, maybe there was a hole in the axe head, and he got the stick, and he stuck it down in, pulled the axe head up. And so the moral of the story is common sense trumps frantic anxiety. Maybe. Moral of the story. You know, the problem is with moralism, especially in this text, is it's all based on conjecture. You have to assume that. Nothing in the text screams that to you. As a matter of fact, it really speaks against it because Elisha, the man of God, approved their behavior. He said, oh, it seems good. If your place is too small to go and let's cut some beams and build a bigger house, he approved of it. He even went with them. And so it doesn't seem there's anything wrong with the small, moving from the small house to a bigger house. It's not a story about contentment on small things. Um, and it doesn't say he got a stick and stuck it into a hole and lifted it up. He just used good common sense. He says the axe floated. So the whole moralism uh, kind of interpretation of this passage doesn't seem to work either. I was... Um, Another way you can take it, and some people do, uh, I, I heard it and was just like, whoa, blown away. I was uh, on my way back, as we used to often do from my in-laws up in York. And um, usually we would come back late, and so I'm the only one awake in the car, and I turn to radio stations and try to catch some preaching coming home. And one evening I was doing that, turned on when I got to LFJ signal, and um, there was this preacher preaching on Second Kings 6. And he says... This text is here, and what we need to do is, is spiritualize. It's a spiritual message. And so the Jordan River is the spiritualized, is the river of judgment. And we're like that axe head. We're, we're cold and hard. And we have been, we have fallen into the river of judgment, and there we lay. And of course, the stick is the cross of Christ. And the cross comes into the river. And all we have to do is reach out with the hand of faith and lay hold of Christ and we will be saved. Hallelujah. You know? And I'm thinking, uh, how are we supposed to know that? Suppose you ask me to come help you build a deck on the back of your house. I say, sure, I'll be glad to come help you do that. And I get over there and I say, well, you know, you're missing a few things. Before we can build this deck, I need you to go to Lowe's and you need to pick up three things. I want you to get an axe, I want you to get some 20-penny nails, and I want you to get some carpenter pencils. And so you say, no problem, and you get in the car, you head off to Lowe's, and on your way to Lowe's, you, you think to yourself, you know, my pastor's a real spiritual man, and he probably doesn't really want what's on this list. He wants some spiritual stuff. He's, he sent me out for a spiritual test. 
And so he says he wants an axe, but, you know, we use axes to cut wood. He probably wants me to witness to somebody who is as dead as wood, spiritually. And so I, and I'm going to find that person at Lowe's. And he doesn't want me just to witness to this dead wood person whose heart's dead in sin. But he wants me to, you know, he always says we shouldn't offer to God something that doesn't cost us something. He wants me to spend some pennies on this guy. You know, he wants me to give him something. So maybe I can buy him a happy meal, you know, and encourage him a little bit. And what was the next thing on my list? I had the the axes, the 20-penny nails, and the carpenter pencils. Oh, well, you know, you use a pencil to write words. And so he must be talking about words. And the carpenter of carpenters, of course, is Jesus. So he wants me to give the words of Jesus to this man who's dead in sin after I give him a happy meal. And so he comes back to the job site, and he tells me about this spiritual journey he's been on. And if he does that, I'm liable to shoot him with my nail gun for being so stupid, okay? That's how a lot of people use Scripture. The axe is an ordinary, it says in the text, piece of iron. It's not man's cold, hard heart. And the river Jordan is just a river. Near Jordan. And the stick is just a stick. It's not the cross of Christ. So why is this passage here? You be good Berean Christians. You check it out through the scriptures. But I think God has placed this passage in this particular place in his word to remind us that he is a God who cares for us when our needs are small. He is a God who's relevant. He's living right where we are in our crucial needs and in our urgent needs. Let me show it to you as we go through the text together again. First of all, God's care to lift up an axe head, to resurrect it, to float it um, there in the river. Um, He's shows his concern for this son of the prophet who has borrowed this axe head. Put it in context, and you begin to see how small this really seems to look. If you go back just one chapter, chapter 5, it's a big international kind of event. Naaman is uh, the captain of the army of Aram, or Syria, And he's heard that in Israel there is someone who can heal him of that. So he sends a letter from the king of Aram to the king of Israel. You see in verse 7, the king of Israel gets the letter. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes. I mean, this is serious when a king tears his clothes. He says, am I a god to kill and to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking a quarrel against me. So the way the king of Israel picks up this whole story in chapter 5 is, we're fixing to go to war, guys. Syria is looking for some excuse to come against us. There's an international incident that has them scared. Then you have chapter 6, and you get right after this axe head story, you get to verse 8. It says, now the king of, of chapter 6, now the king of Aram was warring against Israel. So sure enough, they do start a war. 
And if you jump down to verse 24 in chapter 8, you see they circle the city of Samaria, which was the capital city of Israel at that point. And when you besiege a city, you surround the city with armies, you've cut off access to their gardens and their farms, their supply. So now they've got this huge domestic crisis. Will we have food enough to to live? They've got this military crisis. They're at war. Big national things. And in the middle of those two events, those two things, you have this little axe head story. That's the context. Now that seems rather small to be talking about building a house, to be concerned with the loss of an axe head in the midst of international affairs, military strategy, warfare, domestic crisis, big stuff. But sometimes even with the big stuff, we need to remember that God cares for us right where we live our small seemingly insignificant matters think about our particular world what's going on in our world today it's big stuff churches are being bombed last week another uh, group of people were shot at this year yesterday Jews a week ago Christians It's happening over and over, and terrorists are claiming credit. You've got um, we've got our leaders of our land just constantly engaged in political maneuvering instead of running our country, and and we wonder why they think that drama is so exciting to us, and where is it going to play out, and what's going to happen. 815 million people are malnourished in our world today, going hungry, starving. And yet we live in a country where 70 plus percent are overweight, more than nourished. There are solutions, and yet we don't seem to be applying them. Uh, There are nuclear threats in the news this morning, in the news last week. Iran, and this morning was talking about a drone looking at our ships and building nuclear warheads. And North Korea, of course, looks like they're still engaged in that. And Russia, and, uh, you know, that's going to change our world. Big stuff like that's happening around us. In the Middle East, children are being used as decoys for military strategy. Um, All over the world, girls are being raped and used in in terrible ways. There's bloody wars, yes, but there's also medical wars. You're starting to see in the news now in America, 2020, our Social Security systems for the first time in our lives supposed to be insolvent. We're going to have more bills than we have money coming in. And so Social Security and Medicaid and our insurance costs just keep going up and up. And what are we going to do? When we can't afford it and can't buy it and can't deal with it. And then there's this American debt in the trillions of dollars. None of us can fathom and we rarely talk about it. And yet we know somebody someday is going to have to pay. And that's going to change everything. 
when those kind of things hit us. AIDS is still an epidemic, not talked about much. A million people have died in America since we first diagnosed it in 1981. In Africa, 20 million kids wake up because they've lost a parent to AIDS. It's still a huge epidemic. Abortion is still murder, and a million babies are murdered every year. Big stuff. And in the middle of all of that, are you trying to tell me God cares about my little axe head? My little needs. That's the glory of our God, is that in the middle of all of these big things, God still cares. You know, see, I think our problem is we tend to make God in our image. We think God is like us, not We think, I'm busy, I got a lot to do, I am so preoccupied, I don't have time for you. And we think God is that way. And God is screaming here, I am not that way. Yes, there's military problems, yes, there's world problems, yes, there's domestic crisis. But in the middle of all of that, I still know the number of hairs on your head. I still know the words you speak before you speak them. I still know your whereabouts when you're in the darkness, and even an axe head matters to me. Praise God for a God who can keep up with it all. And still care about the little small things that trouble us and bother us in this life. You know, um, I didn't say... Uh, well, I, I'll get to it. Just, just There was this lady. It's actually uh, Patty's pastor's wife. When, before we got... Or after we got married up in York. And... Uh, she was having one of these days, no air conditioning in the house, and it was miserably hot about September, you know, trying to cook and deal with the bunch of kids in the house, and it was so miserable. She was about to faint. It was just so hot, and she kept trying to raise the kitchen window, and it was stuck from all the humidity, and it just wouldn't go up. And it just dawned on her, so I'm just going to stop and pray. I can't call my husband. I, he doesn't have time for this, and she got all her kids together around the kitchen table and says, Mommy's about to pass out. And I need that window to go up. Pray with me that that window will go up. And so they prayed. I mean, that's putting out the fleece because you just put it before your kids and you've got to get up now and try the window. So they prayed. She got up. And the window went right up. Do you mean to say God cares about hot houses and windows? Is that not precisely the glory of our God? Heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. And everything in between matters to him. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the little things that are happening in your life. He knows every sparrow that falls. And he can retrieve every axe head that sinks. God cares when our needs are small. Do you have small needs? Do you have issues 
maybe nobody else sees or knows about, and yet you need to know God cares. God only cares, not only cares for the small needs, He cares when the needs are crucial. Now, uh, it takes a little thought to see how crucial this need is in Second Kings 6, because for us, you know, if, if I'm missing an axe head, you know, I can run down to White Jones or Lowe's or Home Depot. I can pick me up another one for five or ten bucks, and I'm on my way. But, so it doesn't seem so crucial, but in, in this time period, first of all, we know it's crucial, verse 5. He says, but as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, alas, my master. Now, I had to look up alas. I don't use alas. What is alas? Alas, another translation might be, oh, no! You know, it's, it's, it's a really gasping sound of desperation. Oh, no, it's borrowed. You know, is that uh, kind of desperation. Feel the crucialness of this need. Now, I got to thinking about it as I, I said, well, I would probably translate it differently. And then I got to thinking, no, maybe alas is a good word. We need to resurrect alas. It's a whole lot better than a lot of the words people use when they hit their thumb with a hammer or, or lose something in desperation. The kind of language we use today is not appropriate before a holy God. So in this moment of frustration, it's, it's still language appropriate to God. He's crying out to God. Oh, no, God. This, this axe head is borrowed. Think about that. That means he didn't, ha- he didn't own an axe. He probably couldn't afford an axe. He certainly couldn't go down to White Jones and pick up an axe. If he couldn't afford an axe, if he couldn't get an axe, if he had to borrow an axe, if it was too poor to own the axe, it's too poor to replace the axe. And in this time frame, especially with war going on, if you had something that was iron or steel that could be sharpened and used as a military tool, it was typically the only defense you had. So not only is an axe that's good for cutting wood and starting fires, but it's, it's, it's perhaps the only tool of defense for a family or a village. And he's lost it. Now you begin to see, it's a pretty crucial need. It's different than where we live. And so does God care not only about small things, but does he care about really crucial stuff? Of course, we need to use discernment because there's times when we call it, I really need this, and you start evaluating, I really don't need it. It's not crucial. So we have to use discernment. What are crucial needs and what are not crucial needs? But in this case, I think it's clearly a crucial need as he cries out for it, and God resurrects it. Now, what's God doing? I don't think he's just doing a little heavenly razzle-dazzle. I don't see God doing miracles for tricks. In other words, God doesn't do miracles without purpose. So when he floats this axe head, he has something in mind. Is it not that it's our God's tendency, it's Christ's tendency to help when the need is crucial? 
our destitution, when we're desperate, it brings forth God's supply, God's concern, God's care for his people. And God's tendency is to bring forth that mercy and that grace and that help, especially in crucial times. You know, um, perhaps a lot of us uh, enjoyed watching the Tiger Woods come back a few weeks ago. One of the things that people like about Tiger Woods, plenty of things to not like, but one of the things they like is that when it gets to the final nine holes, when it comes down to the crucial moment, golf is a difficult sport. You, you never make all the greens in regulation. You never make all the fair, fairways in regulations. You always get in trouble, and then you have to get out of trouble. And one of the things they like about him is that he's good at getting out of trouble. When, when the need is crucial, when he has to make a putt, when he has to hold it, when he has to chip it in, he seems to do that over and over and over, which makes him the most winning golfer on the planet. He comes through in the clutch. We all like, whether it's basketball or football or baseball or whatever, we love it when we're watching the sport and the team we're behind comes through in the clutch. It's like, yes, that's when it's best. And that's what we see here God doing for his people. When we need it most, when we need it to happen, God is there and he comes through in the clutch. Patty and I were in seminary down in Jackson, Mississippi. And we were trying to learn a lot of things that first year. We had just gotten married. We were trying to, we had our first house, our first car um, that we bought, and just all of that stuff. So we had, you know, you had your normal car bills and insurance bills and house bills and house insurance bills and um, all utility bills. And it, it kind of had mounted up. And I didn't know how we were going to make it. And so I took another job. Oh, and then we had Christmas bills. I did not know. I, just, this is, I did not know. I mean, my brothers and sister and family, we just don't do the present thing, you know, too much. And when I got married, I didn't know I was going to be giving pre- Christmas presents to about 20 million people. Yeah. And that, that greatly affected my budget. I appreciate the generosity of my wife, and I had, I had to figure out how to deal with that. And so we had all these bills. So I took an extra job. So I'm working two jobs and going to seminary full time, trying to figure out if there's any other way to make money. And we finally got to the end of Christmas, December, and we had everything paid off but one, the car insurance bill, $200. And it wasn't due till January sometime. And I thought, okay, we're just going to let it ride and we're going to pray about it. I don't know how we, I, I can't make enough between now and then to make that happen. Uh, I don't know how it's going to happen. So we prayed. Prayed about it regularly. Don't remember telling anybody but Patty and me. We get back, seminary after came home for Christmas, got back, went to the mailbox one day in January, and there was a check. There was no return address on the check or on the envelope. You want to know how much the check was for, right? 
the exact amount we needed. We don't know to this day where that came from other than from God. He comes through in the clutch. He often tests us to say, you know, are you really dependent? Are you really crying out? Is it really an oh no master? I can't live without you. And when it is, is it not our God's way to say yes? Did he not send Christ into the world because he loves us and cares for us? And he wants to take care of our need. Our God helps when our need is crucial. He's there when our need is small. Third, I want you to see God's present when the need is really urgent. Interesting. Present is the key word there. God's with us. He's present. Interesting, verses 3 and 4 of the text, how much it matters when you get down to verse 6. Verse 3 and 4 again. Then one said, Please be willing to go with your servants. And he answered, I shall go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees, but as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. Verse 6, the man of God said, where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick, threw it in there, and made the iron float. Isn't it interesting? Verse 3 and 4, it, it, it seems like an insignificant matter. We've gotten permission to go to the river and cut trees and build a bigger place. And, but one of them says, Elisha, you want to come along? Would you go with us? It's like, by the way, kind of statements. Like, surely that doesn't matter. We don't need you. Preachers probably aren't very good at cutting wood anyway, you know. But they ask him. And you're thinking, not a big part of the story. And yet, when the axe head falls into the water, it becomes one of the main points of the story. He is with them. As the man of God, as the representative of God himself, in their presence, when the axe head drowns, sunk. So he takes a stick and throws it in there. A lot of people say, you know, what's, what's the deal with the stick? I, I, I don't know that there is a big deal with the stick other than to grab our focus. You, you see that a lot with the miracles. You see it, uh, Elisha, when he, 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 there was a poisonous pot and he throws some cornmeal in. He says, now it's good. Here there's this sunk axe head. He throws a stick in. He says, now look at the axe head. Or like when Jesus put the mud on a man's eyes to heal the blind man. It's, it's not like the mud is healing. But it gives you a focal point. You throw the meal in, you start looking into the pot. You put the mud on, you start looking at a man's eyes open and begin to see for the first time. Or you throw a stick in, it's like you're, you're looking all around, you know, trying to figure this out. And Elijah says, give me a stick, throws it, look at, watch this. He throws it in, and then all eyes, you see, are right there. I think that's, that's the, the tool that's used. And then you see the, the axe float, like, whoa. And the whole imagery is there to say, got an urgent need. We can, we can deal with that. We can take care of that. And God comes through again in matters 
that are life and death for us if the axe head is that crucial. Uh, the famous Baptist preacher Spurgeon used to tell this story. You, you may have heard it. It's very popular. Of a preacher who was preaching, preaching the gospel and he, the authorities were against him for some of the things he was preaching. So they came and he saw them coming and so he runs out and he runs through the streets of town. He's trying to get away so he's not captured by the authorities. And as he's running, he runs into an old malt house where they cook grain to make their used to make their beer and in this this malt house they have these huge kilns and he just saw one that wasn't being used so he jumps down in the kiln and you know cowers down trying to to hide from the authorities who are coming after and as he looks up to see you know how well hidden he is immediately a, a spider you know you've seen one start making a web how they just sling down and he attaches to both sides and then he immediately begins making this web and he could see the light coming in, and it was just a beautiful sight watching this, this spider web being made so quickly that he almost forgot he was being chased. And about that time, somebody comes into the house, and you know, all the soldiers or the officers, look over there, look over there, look, he's probably in there, he's probably there. And, and as they're looking and ramage, going through this malt house, one of them, a superior to another one, you know, right, right there, the, the other one kind of goes to that kiln. That the preacher's in. And the superior said, dummy, don't look in there. You see, he couldn't have gone in there or he would have busted the spider's web. Does God care about spiders? Does he control spiders? The glory of our God. When it was urgent. And he needed somebody to come through. God raises up a spider. To save that particular preacher's life. Personal story. I went to visit a man that had just been sick. Had been in the hospital for um, a number of tests. We didn't really know what he had. Um, he, was, he was the preacher that preceded me in, in our first church down in King Street, South Carolina. His name was Bill Shannon. And Bill retired from that church, and so I was the next guy. And so he was still in the area. He didn't come to our church, but I knew who he was and had been to his house a few times and eaten with him, and I was concerned about him in his old age, and he was in the hospital. I happened to be in Florence, and I knew he was at Florence General Hospital. I said, well, I'll just go by and see Bill, see how he's doing, see if, see if he knows anything. So... You know how hospitals are typically. You'll have two elevators side by side, you know, kind of a little foyer. You, you push the button and you get on one of them. So I got on the elevator and, and I'm headed up to, to his floor. And uh, I had no knowledge at all that in the other elevator was uh, another friend of mine. He was the pastor of the church Bill Shannon went to. And he was also that day deciding his name is Joe Sullivan. Joe said, this is a good day for me to do a hospital visitation. So he said, I think I'll go by and see Bill. We're coming up these elevators at relatively the same time. Bill Shannon's in, in the room closest to the elevator foyer. Fifteen minutes before we show up, he's in the room with the doctor. He says, I've got all the test results. The results are not good. You've got lung cancer. And you've only got about maybe two, three weeks to live. And the doctor leaves. Well, you can imagine getting that story. 
It's like, oh man, he just he starts walking out into the lobby. He's just he's like every your body's anxious and you gotta move. As he comes out into the lobby, just wondering why is God telling him this? Ding, ding, out comes Joe Sullivan. Out comes David Roundtree. And Bill Shannon, the wise old pastor that he was, he, he looked at Joe and he looked at me and he said, Gentlemen, I would have never imagined this to happen. But I was just told that I've got weeks to live, that I have lung cancer. And God has sent the two men I want most to come and give me the message of God and to pray with me. And I thought, man, this cannot be a coincidence. How did this happen? And so we went back into his room and I said, the message of God is this. God is with us when the need is urgent. God is present with us. He has not abandoned us. He has not left us. The fact that he brought your two friends to you at just this moment is the evidence that God controls elevators and schedules and plans just so he can take care of his children. God's always present. Why is 2 Kings 6, 1 through 7 in the Bible? To me, that's like asking, why is Jesus in the Bible? Because he cares for his church. He cares for his people. He cares when our needs are small. He cares when they're crucial. He cares when we have urgency and we cry out to him. There's no miracles without purpose. God's love is present. His relevance is present just when we need him, just where we need him, just where we are. Anybody here this morning with a small need? Anybody where it's kind of crucial? Anybody where you feel like it's urgent, it needs, something needs to happen, and it needs to happen today or very soon? Our hope is in God that who is supreme and glorious and great and loves us so much he sent his son to die for us. Our hope is that he cares for our small needs in the midst of this world where he has created billions of people. Are you meaning to say he cares for just one small, seemingly insignificant person with a small need? And yet, I feel it's pretty crucial and feel... It's pretty urgent. Perhaps the the big application is for us just to glory in our God. Worship in who he is. But at the same time, to repent of making him like ourselves. Making him too small and not there. And seek his forgiveness. And seek greater intimacy with him. Let's pray together. Father... In a room this size, many of us feel lonely. 
Many of us feel small and insignificant. There's many times where we feel like our needs aren't worth sharing. And yet they're so crucial and urgent to us. Father, you're a God that cares. You're a God that reminds us it matters. You're a God that intervenes, that transforms, that does miracles, and can control our little situations. Forgive us for the times we've forgotten that. Let us turn from creating idols and hope outside of Christ. Lord, let us turn back to Christ as our true only hope, our only need. Lord, we ask for your mercy and your grace that you would reach us right where we are, that you would remind us you can do that day in and day out. Let us ever be praising you, depending on you, trusting you, worshiping you. We ask all this, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.